Welcome into episode 27 of the Rattle Podcast. As always, my name is Jesse Friedman, along with Jeff Weiser, my co-host here on the Rattle. Uh, Jeff, we're coming off a uh, sort of a pretty fun game to watch uh, this afternoon earlier today. I guess it was uh, the morning for most people here on the West Coast. Um, Diamondbacks uh, able to salvage a series split out in Washington, D.C., Big 5-2 victory to cap off that series here. Uh, Madison Bumgarner, Jeff, uh, on the mound, five innings, one run. Uh, I think we both feel that, the, you know, there's still certainly some things there for Mad Bum to uh, to work through, uh, some things that we're still, uh, that we still have our eye on. But nonetheless, good to see, uh, just good to see him get a win as much as, as much as, you know, we in the uh, sports, you know, analytics sort of world, uh, kind of frown on the win as a statistic. Uh, nonetheless, it's Madison Bumgarner's second win. Uh, he has had all of two wins in his Arizona Diamondbacks career, which of course is pretty underwhelming. Uh, but Jeff, nonetheless, uh, good to see earlier today. Hopefully this can uh, get the Diamondbacks on the right foot here headed into this next week. Yeah, considering where everything had been for Bumgarner, just to get any kind of a positive result feels like a real victory. Um yeah, I mean, definitely some things to to you know consider, some things to work on. Um, you know, he fell behind a lot of guys. He left some pitches in some undesirable locations, but kind of got away with it. Um, you know, I think the Nats were probably a pretty good lineup for him to face. It's not the uh, most daunting lineup in baseball, especially against a left-hander. Um, so that seemed to kind of play in his favor and. You know, it, it is what it is. We'll take it. Um, you know, any little bit that that you know of success that that really the team can get from him right now, considering where things have been, is just you know feels huge. Yeah, we were talking uh, before we hopped on the air earlier, just about how, at least from my standpoint, Jeff, it feels like his pitches are doing what they're supposed to do. Like there, there's actually still a decent amount of nastiness in Madison Bumgarner's pitches. You see the occasional curveball. Um, that's pretty nasty. Got some good swings and misses on that today. Uh, the cutter it still has some really good, um, some good action to it as well. The fastball um, velocity seems to be pretty good, uh, hanging mostly around the 91 range uh, in his outing today. So for me, Jeff, that's pretty comforting. I, I don't see Madison Bumgarner um, after what I saw today. And granted, I watched pretty much all of his outing today. I missed uh, some, at least I missed some of his earlier starts in the season. So I haven't seen everything from him this year. Um, but from what I saw today, it seems like his pitches are doing what you would normally expect them to do. And it, it's sort of just a matter of of executing those pitches. His command, like you mentioned, was a little off. There were a few times where, uh, you know, Carson Kelly puts the puts his glove right at the bottom of the strike zone. And and he just misses, you know, way down or, or way up or way out or way in or something. You could tell his fastball command just wasn't totally there for him today. And I think with Mad Bum, if command is the only thing missing, I think, you know, he's the kind of guy who has enough years under his belt. That's not something I think is going to elude him for very long. Um, so it is Mad Bum going to return to his his former self, as we say, you know, the type of player he was with the Giants? Probably not. But at this point, I'm I'm semi comfortable, Jeff. And maybe this is me being a little bold here, but I'm semi comfortable saying I think Bumgarner will settle down at some point this year. I think he'll at least be a viable pitcher for the Diamondbacks this season. 
Yeah, I agree. I think he I think he will kind of find his groove enough to just sort of settle in and kind of hang out, you know, find a a place for himself where you know, we we can start to rely on the production a little bit more. I mean, it is a very like stuff oriented league. Um, you know, everyone is is really into, you know, the nastiest breaking balls, the, you know, uh, hardest thrown fastballs and, and Madison Bumgarner just isn't playing that game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I still think he can find it. I think it'll take time, um, but he might just be one. You know, he also just might be like one little mechanical adjustment away from getting there. Um, and I'm with you. I think that's the asset that he brings. Right. Is is that bevy of experience. um to where, you know, this probably isn't the first time in his career that he's had to kind of try to get himself back on track. So um, he knows what to do. He knows himself, you know, and, and and I do think that he'll find it. Ultimately, how good is that? I mean, I think we all kind of know, you know, what we expect that to still look like. But viable, yes. We'll keep them in games, yes. And there are just going to be some teams uh, that he'll face that, probably going to be pretty tough for him. Teams that have a lot of like righty mashers are going to be tough for Bumgarner. Yeah. Um, That just kind of is what it is. But if he can face, you know, in the event that he faces teams where they're fairly left-hand dominant, you know, he's going to stand a chance. Um, And so I think, you know, matchups, matchups too are going to play a big role in sort of, you know, ultimately how he settles out. Yeah, I think uh, obviously, Jeff, this team has sort of been hit with the injury bug. And so we were talking earlier about how, you know, the team that the Diamondbacks are right now, the team that we're watching every day is actually really kind of a cheap counterfeit of the team that we actually expected at the beginning of the year. And obviously every team goes through their injury issues throughout the season, but the Diamondbacks have had it especially rough uh, here at the beginning of the season. Obviously could tell Marte is the, uh, the really big blow. The team is not really committed to too firm of a timeline on that recently. Um, so we'll, we'll sort of see what happens there as far as you could tell goes, but it seems like it's, uh, he's on the injured list. It's at least going to be 10 days, probably more than that. Um, so that's obviously a big hit. Tim LaCastro, the most recent victim, uh, who just went down on the injured list after a dislocated pinky in the game yesterday. Um, and the list goes on from there. Jeff Christian Walker, uh, went down with an injury as well. Cole Calhoun now just sort of getting back into the swing of things. Nick Ahmed just getting back into the swing of things. Um, so hopefully as time goes on here, the Diamondbacks can find a way to uh, to get healthy, to try to hopefully get more guys back from the injured list than they're sending onto it. Um, and uh, and I think that will certainly help this team, uh, this team moving forward. And And for us, Jeff, I know we were talking earlier about how you know, that team that we envision in our heads with Christian Walker, with Cattell Marte, uh, you know, with Zach Gallen back in midseason form, hopefully as he gets stretched out here, uh, getting back into the swing of things, uh, that team actually could be pretty decent. Uh, and I, I don't think we're uh, we're not going to go out here and say we think that team is a, you know, World Series contender or anything like that. But uh, but the Diamondbacks at full health, at least from what we've seen so far with Carson Kelly being as good as he's been. I'm sure we'll talk about him later with Eduardo Escobar being, uh, you know, looking more like the Eduardo Escobar of 2019. There there's definitely a compelling case to be made that once those guys come back, once this team hopefully gets healthy, uh, you know, that maybe maybe they could flirt with a wild card spot down the road later this season. 
Yeah, and they're going to have to really do their best to just kind of hold serve in the meantime, right? I mean, there's a significant amount of time that will pass before they really come back as, you know, like the full the full squad. Um, and that's assuming no one else gets hurt, right? So, yeah, which is a big um, if at the rate they're going. <laughs> oh, man, I know. You're, you're right. I mean, that's that's the thing is like they've they've been bitten pretty bad. And you know, it's interesting. They went into the offseason. Uh, and went through most of it, you know, really we were, we kept watching the bullpen pretty closely and going like, this is a pretty bad bullpen. Um, on paper, yeah. this does not look like a very good bullpen. Um, you know, JB Bukowskis hadn't emerged, you know, like he did in the spring yet. You're just kind of going like, this is going to need some help. And sure enough, they go out and get, you know, uh, two veterans. Well, you know, Tyler Clippard hasn't thrown a, a pitch in a regular season game. Joaquin right. Soraya hardly got any work. And so you're right back to square one with the bullpen. Uh, Bukowskis was called up today, but but hasn't pitched yet. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's tough. I mean, they were down uh, for the first two weeks of the season with their very best pitcher. They've been down now for a, a good little chunk and it may turn into, to, uh, you know, continue to linger on. I mean, they're, they're without their best hitter. They're without another one of their best hitters in, in Christian Walker. I mean, yeah, don't, um, like I won't be ready to close the book on you know understanding who this team is until I see all those guys back because uh, right now you're right they're just they're just not themselves. I want to spend some time delving into this starting rotation because uh, it, it's fascinating, Jeff. There's there's really no one in this rotation who you know we have a super clear picture of the kind of pitcher that they are and are going to be throughout the rest of the season. Seems like everyone in the rotation right now has their own. Uh, their own little storyline and of course since the uh, since the last episode that we did Caleb Smith was actually taken out of the rotation and into the bullpen um, where he's actually fared quite nicely we'll talk about that more here in a little bit Uh, but going through the rotation Jeff we talked about Mad Bum already hopefully we get to see him start to get things a little back on track Uh, the fact that he has 20 strikeouts and 18 and two-thirds innings uh, is is semi-comforting for me obviously he's you know giving up a lot of hits and walks and um, I don't know if his strikeout rate is is necessarily pristine, but he's he's definitely had more swing and miss this year than I think I remember uh, in the middle of his struggles last season. So uh, mad bum things hopefully looking up there. Uh, but one name that sticks out to me, Jeff, is Luke Weaver, uh, who flirted with a no hitter uh, in Cincinnati. <laughs> and then several days later, I, I watched his most recent start and and it just seemed like he was just getting hit all over the place. Um, he's been basically a two pitch pitcher. Uh, he's gone almost exclusively fastball changeup, And, and even at that, we're talking like 70, 75% fastball. Um, so Luke Weaver's pitch mix has really not been much of a mix at all. And yet he's been bizarrely effective. Um, even after, uh, his, his most recent star, which I think he only pitched into the fourth inning and gave up. Uh, four or five runs, I want to say it was. Uh, but so far for the season, Jeff, he only has one walk against 14 strikeouts over 16 and two-thirds innings. He has given up four home runs, which seems to be an ongoing issue there. He's had some good luck on his side with a lot of those homers being uh, just solo shots. But by and large, he's only allowed 13 hits and one walk over 16 and two-thirds innings. And you look at it from that standpoint, and, and that seems like really anything I could ever hope for uh, for a guy like Luke Weaver. So. Uh, Jeff, what have uh, what have you noticed in in the uh, Diamondbacks right hander? Yeah, it's it's a total conundrum. I mean, it's very interesting. You see the the start where he's almost unhittable, um, 
and I and I watched that start pitch for pitch, and it was so intriguing. Carson Kelly continued to set up, um, you know, in certain spots, and with his fastball, Weaver just missed like again and again <laughs> and again and again, but no one could touch it. Um, it was really fascinating. He was he wasn't necessarily like uh, the sharpest I've you know that he's probably ever been, but. Um, he does have good life on the fastball. And I think that can sneak up on batters. Um, he throws hard, you know, but not exceptionally hard, but, um, it's just that I think he gets enough like late movement on the fastball that it's tough. And the changeup is just so good that it keeps batters from sitting on the fastball. Um, they know the changeup's coming. Uh, I think the fact that they aren't up there hunting breaking balls that they expect him to hang probably might work, at least in the short term, in Weaver's favor. Um, And so they're sort of up there. They just looked uncomfortable. No one really could settle in. Um, But that same problem with location will come back to bite him at times. Um, You know, Kelly will set up down and and Weaver will miss up middle and and the ball gets hit pretty hard. So... Mm. Uh, it's, it's really, really tough. I mean, he can make a living as a two pitch pitcher. I mean, that, that can work, um, but it works for very, very few guys. And I'm nowhere near ready to call Luke Weaver one of those guys. So, um, it's, you know, it's kind of like the Mad Bum situation where you're just living with the guy, like start to start and, you know, kind of hoping for the best. And sometimes maybe you're super sharp and guys, you know, hit them where they ain't and bad luck happens and you get pulled early. And and sometimes you aren't super sharp and yet no one can get a beat on you for whatever reason and you succeed. So baseball's weird like that. I'm, I'm not ready to draw any conclusions just yet. Yeah. I think, I I don't think I got to watch uh, Luke Weaver's really dominant downing against Cincinnati. I I think I, I think I was limited to just watching highlights after the game and you know, you see the you see the line that he put up. You know, I think it was like yeah. eight innings, one hit allowed. You know, the the numbers just jumped right off the page. And and you go to the highlight video, you're expecting to see just some some nasty stuff. You know, hitting all the corners and uh, really keeping guys off balance. And and that wasn't really what I saw uh, in the you know just the highlights that I was right. able to watch from Luke Weaver's outing. It was really just. A lot of pitches were, like you said, he wasn't really hitting Carson Kelly's glove and nor was he necessarily throwing a lot of those pitches in a location I think he would have wanted to. Uh, but for some reason, Cincinnati was just really, really struggling to actually square the ball up. So, yeah, suffice it to say with Luke, as much as, you know, I'm overjoyed with the with the raw numbers that he's put up this year, there's still definitely some questions for me on on the longevity of if this is something he can uh, continue into the future. Um, moving on from Weaver though, Taylor Widener. How about, how about this guy, Jeff? He was not long ago. We talked about this in the last episode. Uh, uh, Taylor Widener last season, uh, when he pitched against the Los Angeles Dodgers in a preseason game right before the season started. Uh, I think that that memory will be stamped in Diamondbacks fans heads for forever when he got just absolutely destroyed, uh, by a stacked Dodgers lineup. But, uh, since then he has really taken some strides in the right direction. He's covered 17 innings over his three starts so far. Um, the ERA for what it's worth at this point, one, five, nine looks pretty good. Uh, only 11 strikeouts. Uh, I think if, if you're looking at these numbers and, you know, thinking of Taylor Widener as a future, uh, you know, a future ace or number two starter. I, I wouldn't say that's necessarily what I've seen so far. 
Um, we've texted back and forth uh, about this, Jeff. And, and I think one of the things I mentioned early on was he looks like a number five starter who's just doing his job. You know, he, he's he's hitting his spots. He's locating well. Um, he's actually throwing the ball where uh, the catcher's glove is, which seems to be something that a lot of guys in the rotation have struggled with to this point. And and, and yeah, the stuff is not electric. You know, it's a it's a low mid 90s fastball. It's uh, you know, it's a slider. There, there's nothing super, super nasty in there. Um, but he's done a really nice job so far of, of keeping guys off balance. And and hey, even if, you know, that's really more, uh, you know, a number four, number five starter type in the end, you know, the Diamondbacks will certainly take what they've gotten from him so far. Absolutely. I mean, we can yeah, we can definitely talk about um, the ways in which he is maybe, um, you know, uh, not fantastic or, you know, like won't uh, make your hair stand up. But um, what he has done has been really effective. Uh, and so and that's his role. Right. And, and you can sort of see it on his face when he goes out. Um, he definitely looks like he's there to do a job uh, and he's just kind of trying to like navigate one batter at a time, like get himself through the lineup. Um, and maybe that, you know, like being as green as he is, you know, maybe that's just kind of where he is right now in his career. And if so, that's totally fine. Um, his velocity is down a little bit, but I attribute that more to the fact that he's starting and not pitching in relief. And so he can't just, you know, rear back and throw heaters. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he's kind of struggled with the swing and miss. He's, he's not striking a lot of guys out and he's kept the ball in the yard, which is, uh, you know, quite hard to do these days. So I mean, he's benefiting from a couple things and they, they kind of tend to boil down to, uh, you know, managing the contact the batters make against him. But, you know, to his credit, he hasn't walked a lot of guys. He's not, um, you know, he's not putting himself in difficult situations. And I think there's something to be said for that. Um, it might even be a little teachable to some of the guys like a, like a Luke Weaver or, um, you know, some of the other pitchers on the staff is like, you know, we could just keep the bases clear um, you know, like not everything has to be electric, uh, and, and he's doing his job. So, um, I don't know how long this lasts. I imagine they'll, they'll kind of keep running him out there in that capacity for, you know, for some time. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see like how long he stays in that role. It, it could go on for, you know, the better part of the season. I, w- I wouldn't be terribly surprised. Um, so we'll just have to kind of ride it out and see, but I, I don't know that his current results are, you know, obviously uh, fully sustainable, but he's, he has been really effective. And if, if he can just continue to keep, you know, continue to keep uh, the ball in the yard, you know, yeah. a lot of the rest will kind of take care of itself. Right. Cause baseball is just such a home run dominant game right now. So, mm. um, you know, he's doing that and it, it's working. Yeah. Yeah. One homer in 17 innings. That'll that'll spur you on to success right there in and of itself. Um, you you mentioned not walking a lot of guys and and I didn't really notice this earlier, but just perusing the numbers here. Luke Weaver, one walk in 16 and two thirds innings. Uh, Taylor Widener, five walks in 17 innings. You'll certainly take that. Uh, Merrill Kelly, even as bad as things have been for him, only four walks in 16 innings. Um, and then Mad Bum is on the higher end, nine walks and 18 and two thirds, which is still at least reasonable. Um, so that's one one thing you have to say about this Diamondback starting pitching staff so far. 
Um, although some guys have certainly been more effective than others, uh, they've by and large, uh, by and large made teams earn it, which I guess there's, there's something to be said for that. Um, but as, as far as Merrill Kelly goes, Jeff, uh, this is the last, the last one that we'll, uh, that we'll go over here. Um, Merrill Kelly, 16 innings so far, he's given up an even 16 runs, uh, 23 hits. He's given up four home runs, only 10 strikeouts. Um, I know there was some hesitation over the offseason. Do you really want to, you know, tender a contract to a guy who is coming off thoracic outlet surgery, which uh, the history of pitchers returning from that uh, procedure is not exactly uh, does not exactly uh, spark any sort of optimism. Uh, but the Diamondbacks went for it anyway. And so far, the results have been uh, not great <laughs> for the D-backs, yeah. righty. Yeah, the the velocity is down just a little bit and it's you know it is what it is with him. It's he doesn't live and die with velocity, so maybe that's not of the the biggest concern. Um but his his four seamer velocity and his cutter are both down just a little bit. Um yeah, it's you know Merrill is is who he is. Um you know, he got on that terrific run last year before he was hurt. Um you know, and it just kind of felt like he maybe captured lightning in a bottle there for a little bit before it came to an end. And, you know, I don't think this is representative of who he is either. But, I mean, if if, if Merrill Kelly is your fifth starter, that's, you know, not the end of the world. Um, but when the rest of your rotation is full of Madison Bumgarner, uh, Luke Weaver, and Taylor Widener, well, you know, uh, I don't I don't know where Merrill Kelly uh, slots in that, um, <laughs> but you probably have too many guys that are a sort of a similar overall caliber, and um, you know that's just going to continue to be sort of a bugaboo for this team. I, there's no easy fix coming. Getting Gallon back was the shot in the arm that they really needed, and um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be tough for him. I, I think there's some better outings in his future. Um, he's just going to have to continue to locate his swing and miss is way down right now. Yeah. Um, so does that come back? I mean, if he could find a way to do that, that'll really help his cause. I, I do think something that you pointed out before is, is maybe the, the bigger sort of scarier thing, which is, you know, the walks have crept up and, you know, the home runs have too. And, and while I'll say the home runs, you know, are just going to happen, you can't be putting extra guys on base. Um, when they do happen. So yeah, he's going to have to find a way to do that. One last little thing is like his left on base percentage. Like when he comes out of a game and leaves runners on, uh, the bullpen is doing him no favors and allowing those runners to continue the inning and, and come around to score. So mm. that's inflated his ERA a little bit. I think he's a little better than we've seen, but he's still probably just a number five starter at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were a few questions that we got relating to the rotation that I want to uh, jump through here. So Kyle Collins asked, what is Luke Weaver? Is he the lights out pitcher we saw in AZ against the Reds uh, or a four and done can't find the zone consistently guy like we saw uh, yesterday? Very fair question. Uh, I think we've sort of sort of addressed that to this point. I think we maybe slightly lean more towards the latter, Jeff. I I. I'm hesitant to really go one way or another on this because I I just haven't really seen anything that uh, that suggests any sort of longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet the numbers are hard to argue with. I mean, he's he's, you know, one walk, 14 strikeouts, 16 and two thirds innings over three starts. Th- those numbers are absolutely respectable. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, it is tough. I mean, I'm going to need to see it for for a longer duration of time. And what what continues to keep me from buying in more on Luke is just 
the the continual missing of spots, you know, in sort of a similar fashion. And until his, you know, command really turns around and improves, I mean, it's just going to be tough for him. And and let's face it too. I mean, he's not going to walk a lot of guys when he's really hittable because they're just going to put the ball in play. Yeah. Um, and so I think that contributes to the low walk rate. I mean, mm. I mean, it's good that he's not, you know, walking guys on four pitches. I mean, that's great, but also that's like <laughs> the most basic job requirement of being a major <laughs> league pitcher. So um, I think that that, that number is even maybe artificially low at this juncture, just given how hard he's been hit at, you know, at times. So mm. it's tough for him, but I mean, you know, you see a night where he's like locked in and it all works and you kind of, it does make you think sort of like, well, what if like this doesn't have to be a hundred percent repeatable, but could he repeat 80% of this? Um, I don't know if that's in there or not, but I'm, I'm interested to continue watching and see how this two pitch situation goes. Cause I, I think there could be something to it for him. I mean, he struggled with the breaking ball since he was a prospect. I mean, it just, yeah. it's never come for him. And so mm. I I am sort of of the mindset of like, you know, at some point you have to just pull the cord and say, this is who I am. These are my two best pitches and I'm just going to try to make it work for me. Ultimately, that might mean that he ends up being like a pretty good relief pitcher someday. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the time being, I am still curious to see how that plays in the rotation. Well, speaking of pretty good relief pitchers, Kyle also asked how long of a leash does Mad Bum have? He looked good today, but the previous two starts were not encouraging, as we discussed earlier. Uh, what's his season outlook seem to be going forward, and could a bullpen stint come eventually? Uh, as far as that goes, Jeff, I know we I know we uh, touched on this already, but as far as that goes, um, I, I don't think the bullpen stint is is very likely. I I don't think Madison Bumgarner, frankly, would be a whole lot better in the bullpen uh, than he would as a starter. Um, I mean, the, the issue is not really a stuff as much as just the command. So I don't think you're it, it. We'll just say if you throw Madison Bumgarner in the bullpen, you're, he's not all of a sudden going to be throwing 98 miles an hour from the left side. Um, so I think he's probably sticking in the rotation and and you're just sort of hoping for the best uh, at this point. Is is that sort of your sense on the situation, Jeff? Yeah, I think you just write it out. And the here's the hard part is like, what is he as a reliever? Yeah. <laughs> like a lefty with some deception who throws 92, like um, that might've worked, you know, like, like a, a, you know, even just in very recent past that might've worked. Uh, but now with a three batter minimum, like he's not someone that you can just bring in to face like two lefties and get him out. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's not a concern for like now, but like that is a conversation that maybe we end up having, you know, two, three years from now. And that's yeah. where it starts to get really troubling is like, if if he doesn't write the ship, what does that mean for the longer term duration of his tenure in Arizona? Mm. Because he's just there are guys that, you know, Luke Weaver, for example, I mean, he already throws in the mid 90s with a really legit change up uh, and a lively fastball and let that stuff play up in a bullpen role. I mean, that could be kind of nasty. Yeah. Um, stick Madison Bumgarner in a bullpen role and it doesn't play up the same. So uh, it's apples to oranges for me. I think his only viable role is as a starter, really, and that just is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I re- I remember when the when the Mad Bum news first came down, and uh, I I was semi excited. I thought the price they got was pretty good. Eighty five million seemed lower than what most people were expecting. Yeah. Um. But looking at the structure of this contract now, Jeff, I don't want to dwell on Mad Bum here for too long, but. 
the fact that it is front uh, that it is backloaded and, and that you know you've got these two cheaper years up front and then it's backloaded for the final three years is not ideal. <laughs> no. uh, you're talking about north of sixty million dollars still on the books for Madbum after this season. Uh, and the reason for that is because these first two years have been really low. I think last year was like six million. And then uh, this year, I think, is around that same number. It's a single digit number, if I remember right. And then things really start to escalate once you get once you get into next year. So uh, the the structure of that contract, Jeff, does not look great right now. No, it's like a subprime mortgage. Like it's just <laughs> you, you got into the teaser rate and uh, yeah, you're going to have to write out the end of it. and. Um, all the more reason to focus on him getting himself right as opposed to, you know, the the short term of what's maybe gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. As long as the Diamondbacks aren't in the thick of a, a thick of World Series contention, I think they they have some time to let Mad Bum sort of struggle through and try to figure some things out. And, yeah. and like we said, I think we I think we feel at least on some level that he'll find his way back to at least being a viable starting pitcher. Um yeah. Okay, aside from the starting rotation, I want to jump into the bullpen here. Um, something that we've talked about so many times, Jeff, is the Diamondbacks' ongoing reluctance to allow guys who just who just pretty clearly seem to not be cut out for a major league, um, you know, starting rotation job year in and year out. Uh, whether it's issues with uh, durability or or just their command or their stuff or not having enough pitches or or whatever it may be. The Diamondbacks have had a number of these sorts of pitchers over the years, and they always seem to do everything they possibly can to get these guys into their rotation. And moving them to the bullpen is just sort of the very, very last thing that they'll try. Um, and, and the Diamondbacks this season have maybe taken a slightly different approach um, Alex Young, of course, has sort of been moved into the bullpen more permanently, it seems. Uh, Taylor Clark is another guy who who pitched the eighth inning today, He's essentially uh, in the absence of uh, of the many Diamondbacks relievers who have fallen upon injury. Joaquin Soria, Tyler Clippard, uh, Chris Davinsky having a personal issue recently as well. The Diamondbacks have been pretty thin at the back end. And over these last few days, they've literally had Taylor Clark, you know, their former number five starting pitcher up from the minors. Um, he is has wrote it out as, as sort of a back end reliever type. And the numbers don't look great. He's given up several home runs. I think he gave up a three run homer the other day that really inflated his ERA. But um, but overall, I've actually kind of liked what I've seen from Taylor Clark in that role. Uh, today he was throwing 97. He's got a pretty decent slider to go with it. And and Jeff, it, it seems like a sign that, you know, maybe this approach that the Diamondbacks have been so reluctant to take for so many years with so many guys, maybe the approach of just sort of coming to terms with who players are and not being afraid to push them to the bullpen can actually make the Diamondbacks bullpen a little bit more formidable than what it's been over these last several years. Yeah, it's a prime like the prime candidate for for that kind of move and that kind of move working out well. I mean, their hand has been a little forced organizationally from a lack of pitching depth. Um and so needing to keep guys like Alex Young or Taylor Clark, you know, stretched out to some degree. Um in case you need that spot start in case someone goes down and you need someone. Um yeah. You know, so it's it's understandable to a degree, but also at times, I mean, we've seen it. We've seen what's happened with J.B. Bukowskis more recently of like, hey, we're just going to like it is what it is. Like, let's just do it. I mean, the thing to like, especially as it relates to Bukowskis, so it's a little beside the point. But 
I mean, he had been sort of, um, you know, people had scouts had been concerned that he was going to end up a reliever since his college days. I mean, yeah. um, and especially after he got drafted. So it's, that wasn't like a revelation. Like that was a, a saga, like four years in the making. Um, Taylor Clark is maybe not all that dissimilar in that regard. Um, but it does seem like it's really working for him. Uh, he's a competitor. Um, and I know all guys sort of exhibit their, um, their drive or their desire differently. You look at Taylor Clark's face when he's out there and there's no mistake of like what he's trying to do to you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, and I like that. I, I really like that about him. Um, I don't know that it matters, but I like it. Um, I felt like Andrew Chafin was maybe a little similar in that sense, but like uh, Clark is out there to compete and has looked pretty good. As you mentioned, I mean, one swing of the bat really accounts for half of his earned runs so far this year, but I feel pretty good about him. And one of the things I really, really like is that you can get more than three outs out of Taylor Clark. Uh, you don't have to, it's not like he can only face three batters and you got to get him out of there. I mean, if the first inning goes smooth, you run him out there for a second one, you know, I mean, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if he goes more than two innings at some point this year in a relief uh, role. So it really affords them some luxuries uh, considering how beat up the rest of the pen has been considering how much you didn't want to have to expose some guys uh, Clark being able to go out and suck up uh, more than three outs gives Tori Lovello um, some cushion there to help protect and, and sort of deploy guys when and where he wants later on. Um, he might not be the most electric arm they have back there, although he's encroaching on that territory, but um, <laughs> I think he's, he's probably the most valuable like cog in the, in the gears, you know, I mean, he's, he really, really affords Tori some luxuries. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's been, it's been fun watching Taylor Clark make that transition. Um, uh, beyond Taylor Clark, you mentioned JB Bukowskis. Of course, we, uh, both of us went bonkers today when, uh, with the news of Bukowskis finally being called up, uh, onto the major league roster. Uh, Tori sort of pulled on my, uh, on my cords a little bit today with, um, uh, potentially, uh, bringing in JB Bukowski because he was warming up in the bullpen at some point. Um, I know both of us sort of stopped what we were doing and instantly got in front of the uh, in front of our screens uh, in order to watch that. But uh, unfortunately, it didn't go down today, um, but should be uh, should go down here pretty soon. And and the exciting thing, Jeff, is I, I don't think they're going to send Bukowski back down. I, I think once once they see what this guy can do at the major league level, um, you know, you're starting his service clock. I think at this point he's probably here to stay. Um, and someone earlier today on Twitter uh, asked me, you know, is he going to slot in as the closer? And uh, probably not on day one. It'll probably take him a, a little while for, uh, you know, for uh, him to just build up some trust and probably wouldn't be great. A great move on Tory's part either to, to insert him as the closer in his first major league outing. Um, but we will certainly uh, certainly be excited to see what Bukowskis brings to the table here in short order. Um uh, beyond this, uh, this bullpen, which has been uh, okay, not not bad. Ginkle's been okay. Yoan Lopez has looked maybe a little better this year. Um, I think the Diamondbacks, in terms of the bullpen, have probably been better than I expected, um, yeah. especially in in the absence of of the many guys we talked about who have uh, who have not been able to play so far to start the year. Uh, I think things have been pretty good there. Uh, but switching over to the uh, the position player side here for a moment. 
Uh, something that you brought up earlier today, Jeff, that I thought was really interesting was uh, that this lineup has a lot of versatility. Um, you think about Eduardo Escobar, the fact that he can play third and second. Uh, the Diamondbacks have, have definitely taken advantage of that. Uh, is Drupal Cabrera has moved around a lot. He's been playing first lately, a lot of first base in the absence of Christian Walker. Uh, Paven Smith found himself in center field yesterday after Tim Castro <laughs> got hurt uh, for better or worse. Uh, Paven saw some some time out there. Uh, could tell Marte, of course, when he's healthy, the whole second base center field thing he's got going on. Josh Rojas is a big time utility guy. And, and this is something that in the past, the Diamondbacks haven't really had a whole lot of. Uh, and it's sort of fun. It's sort of refreshing. You know, you you uh, go to see the lineup card every day for the Diamondbacks and you never really know what you're going to get now, Jeff, because this team just has a, a a lot of weapons that they can insert into a lot of different roles. Um, and it yeah, it just it, it keeps things more interesting for fans. On one hand, you never really know what the lineup is going to look like. And, and on another hand, it, it just gives Tori Lavello a lot of flexibility and making sure that he's able to use, you know, his best players day in and day out because those players are able to play so many positions. Yeah, I agree. It's a huge benefit that they haven't had for a really long time. It was something I dug into during my time writing at the athletic about just kind of comparing the Dodgers and the diamondbacks in that regard. And it was one of the ways the Dodgers just, they never gave away at bats. They never had to give it bats to, to poor players. They, just were never in that position. They could just rearrange the deck chairs and, you know, keep their guys in the game. Um, and the Diamondbacks have sort of a, you know, lighter version of that on their hands right now. I'm not sure, um, you know, that uh, Josh Rojas is uh, Chris Taylor. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, like the the principle sticks. Um, and I think it's a big asset for Tori Lavello to have on a daily basis, especially the way the injuries have settled in. Um, like let's just call it what it is. I mean, it's been really unfortunate. I mean, they lost a lot of guys have, have missed time already. Um, and the fact that they are where they are is, and, and that's really not where they want to be, but they are where they are, you know, partly due to the fact that they have been able to cover for the absences fairly well. It hasn't always looked real good. I mean, Rojas at short was Oof. an adventure. <laughs> um, Andrew Young had a few balls hit to him in left field the other day that were also uh, entertaining before he uh, <laughs> got his own sort of frontier justice by hitting a grand slam of his own. Yeah. Um, so it hasn't always really worked super well, but the options are there. You can sort of see the blueprint. Like, what if the guys on the roster are just a little higher caliber of players and we still have the same flexibility? Like, the idea is working they just don't maybe quite have all of the best guys to execute it just yet. But um, yeah, it's, it's probably, it's probably saved them uh, to a greater degree than we like let on because they've just been bitten so hard by the injury bug. Yeah, for sure. Um, sticking with the position player side here, uh, John Jahant on Twitter um, said, it seems like another year of an above average amount of soft and weak contact. I don't watch many other teams, but it seems like the D-back sitters pop up or hit incredibly weak infield grounders at a very high level. Uh, is this a coaching issue or just bad at bats by the players? Um, I think it's probably a fair observation, especially dating back in the last season and some of the struggles we saw there. It seemed like a, lo a lot of guys, uh, you know, putting the ball in play, but not necessarily with a whole lot of 
a whole lot of purpose behind their approach or their swing. Um, I know uh, David Peralta is maybe a guy who comes up here in terms of hitting a lot of balls on the ground, um, which I know, Jeff, you could probably talk about for quite a while. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it's certainly I don't know if you can really put the Diamondbacks like their whole roster in a box and say that this is something they as a team do. I think it's, you know, it, you can very much break this down on a on a player by player level. And I think the Diamondbacks do sort of happen to have a lot of players who uh, who just kind of are generally like that, uh, like a David Peralta, who, as I mentioned, uh, a lot of balls on the ground. Um, there's guys like Eduardo Escobar who have a tendency to hit uh, to swing at way too many pitches up in the zone. You wind up with a lot of swings and misses and a lot of lazy pop ups, a lot of lazy opposite field fly balls from Eduardo Escobar. Um so I don't know if I would put the the Diamondbacks in a box as a whole here and say that this is on the coaches or anything like that. But it does seem, Jeff, that there are a lot of players on this team who uh, maybe need to rethink their approach or uh, just sort of understand a little bit better the types of holes that they fall into as hitters. Yeah, and it's it's a matter of sort of who's taking the bats too. I mean, Tim LaCastro has the second most played appearances on the team. Um, you know, had the second most heading into today's game. I, I would assume David Peralta has overtaken him there. Hmm. Well, Tim LaCastro is not a guy you're betting on to make a ton of hard contact. So no. that's going to drag sort of the average down. I mean, Josh Rojas has had his troubles and his, despite what he did this spring, I mean, his track record is what it is. I mean, that's also not uh, going to get you real excited. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's a bit of, you know, Stephen Vogt has played quite a bit. It just is a lot of, um, a lot of plate appearances to guys that you probably also wouldn't like, you know, hit your wagon to in terms of like, I hope this guy hits the ball really hard. So, yeah. um, some of these things probably go away as they get healthier. Um, mm. but yeah, it's, uh, it is, it is concerning nevertheless. Um, but I do think we see an improvement there over time. Did you want to talk about David Peralta real quick? <laughs> yes, he just hits the ball on the ground so much. Um, it's very frustrating. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it is a, a sort of a thing for me. Um, partly because I love David Peralta, partly because he has such a simple swing and he generates such massive power from it. Yeah, he hits the ball hard. Uh, you know, frequently enough, um, he just does it on the ground a lot. And when he, you know, lifts the ball, a lot of times it goes to the opposite field. It becomes kind of a lazy fly ball that's, you know, really easily caught out. So, uh, David, if you could pull the ball in the air a little more, I would be ever so appreciative because <laughs> I know that you hit the crap out of it a lot. So just do it in the air. <laughs> yeah, it's puzzling. You go back to 2018. And I think that was uh, Peralta's silver slugger year. He hit 30 home runs just sort of out of nowhere. Uh, but I don't think he's ever hit more than 17 in a season outside of that, which mm -hmm. obviously he's had his issues with durability. And uh, it seems like every year he's got some sort of injury issue going on, which I'm sure has played into that. But uh, but yeah, whatever whatever he was doing in 2018, we would love to see David Peralta try to uh, get some more loft in his swing and uh, maybe uh, try to right that ship a little bit. Um, and, and Eduardo Escobar is really the other guy here. Uh, that comes to mind, which uh, we should also talk about Eduardo, not not for his struggles, but because he's been one of the Diamondbacks yeah. better hitters uh, here mm -hmm. to start the season. Six home runs already in, you know, in 16 games after last season over the whole season. He only hit four homers 
Uh, obviously, it was a shortened season, but still, you know, he played something like 52 or 54 games, something like that. Um, so he's looked really good for the Diamondbacks so far. And I know watching his, uh, some of his at-bats in spring training had both of us a little concerned. It looked like he was going uh, more in the wrong direction, um, you know, swinging at pitches up in the zone, which you've seen time and time again is just not where Eduardo Escobar is going to succeed. Uh, but things have looked a lot better for him so far this year. Jeff um, started to see, especially lately, it seems like his at-bats are getting better too. He's not just hacking, but he's also starting to take more pitches and have longer at bats. Um, so yeah, Eduardo Escobar, maybe, uh, maybe he's starting to show some signs here of getting back on track and uh, being more like his 2019 self. Yeah. I mean, his happy zone is definitely like, um, you know, kind of middle and down. Um, and boy, we have just watched him repeatedly chase, you know, high heat and it has not worked out for him. Um, it's a lot of pop-ups. It's a lot of whiffs. It's, it's not good, but he has sort of locked himself back in. I think he's on pace for 58 home runs. Uh, please <laughs> hit me up on Twitter. If anyone wants to make a bet. Um, no, I'm, I'm Wait, really which, happy. Which side of the bet are you taking Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on uh, what the terms are. <laughs> um, no, I, I, it's been great. Uh, he was that guy. I, I feel like a broken record. We said it all off season. If the, if the team's going to have a chance, if they're going to stick around, he's got to produce. Uh, well, yeah. So far, so good. Um, he really has delivered in some big moments. Um, and he just – he has that sort of infectious personality. I feel like when he's going good, he's yeah. happy. Guys are happy. Everyone's like having a good old time, um, including those of us watching from home. So uh, I'm just hoping he kind of keeps it up. He's looked pretty locked in for the most part. And I, I really do think a lot of it just – continues to come down to pitch selection it's what he chooses to swing at and um when he's selective and you know is is putting the the bat on the ball in the you know with the pitches that he should be swinging at the ones that have historically produced well for him um you know i I like his i like his odds i i'm I'm not going to say that he's you know probably an all-star this year or you know an mvp candidate or anything like that but He's an absolutely, he can be who he's supposed to be. He can be a solid everyday contributor. Um, and that's what he really needs to be. He's, he's been a little more than that lately. Uh, we'll take the extra. There's no problem there. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing if he can continue to carry this. Um, Cause they're, they, they can't really, there's no room to let up. So uh, he's going to need to keep doing it and bring some of his teammates along with him. Another guy who's really impressed so far from the position player side of things is Carson Kelly, uh, who is really a big question mark after last season. It looked like he'd taken just a big step backwards. His at-bats just didn't look nearly as substantive as they did the year prior. Um, But this year so far, somehow Carson Kelly went all of last season drawing only six walks. uh, And this season, he's already drawn 10 um, or I think it was either nine or 10, one of those two, I'm getting my numbers mixed up. Um, but suffice it to say his, his at bats, his approach has been a lot better. Um, and he's even gotten into some power as well too. He hit another home run today, which I believe was his fourth of the season. Um, and, and he's a, he's a, an important player for this team, uh, moving forward, not just because, of course, he was one of the main pieces coming back in the Paul Goldschmidt trade, which inherently, for some reason, seems to uh, just breed all sorts of pressure onto both he and and uh, Luke Weaver. But 
Um, but he's also, you know, he's really the future catcher of this team in the long term. And and if if Carson Kelly can uh, can not only be the solid defensive presence that he is behind home plate, but if he can continue to produce like this offensively, that would be a huge gain for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah, it really would be. Um, I he is I, the thing that has impressed me the most about him is the quality of his at bats. Um, you know, we talked a bit before we started recording that I, I really feel like he's just seeing the baseball in extremely well right now. Um, he takes close pitches uh, that are off the plate by just the slimmest of margins. And he really seems to have a great awareness for what the strike zone is on any given day. Yeah, um, I know he gets that benefit from, you know, sitting behind the plate when he's not hitting. But as a hitter, he really seems to to you know have it dialed in as to where he wants the ball where he's willing to swing what he's willing to lay off um and sometimes that close pitch gets called a strike and i've seen that happen to him too but you live to fight another day i mean um you know strikeouts really not any different than than a pop-up or you know a weak ground ball so um he seems to know what he wants and, and he's putting he's putting the bat on the ball that's for sure um he's like you said he's taking the walks he's getting on base um, you know, some guys, you know, find their form come mid season. Uh, some guys find it early and I, I feel like Carson Kelly is, has found it early. I don't know if he can continue to write it, you know, for the duration of the season. I really hope he can. I think it's a huge boost, um, because it really stretches out the lineup, especially yeah. now that it's, uh, as weak as it is. So, um, w- without Cattell Marte in there, without Christian Walker in there, um, you know, right now they're having to give Cole Calhoun kind of, you know, every other day off or, or thereabouts. Um, you know, you need, you need another bat in there that you can count on. And, uh, Carson Kelly has really delivered. And, you know, on top of that, he still remains like a pretty good defensive catcher as well. So, um, you know, he, he might arguably be team MVP right now. Yeah, no, I don't think that's crazy to say that at all. Um, uh, another thing here, uh, sort of a fun question from uh, from Sunny Moon on Twitter. Um, of the young D-backs position players, who has impressed you the most so far? Talking specifically about players who have been in the big leagues for less than two years, which dramatically uh, narrows the the group that we have <laughs> to choose from. Um, it, hard, hard to say. I, I'll start this one off. I'll go with Andrew Young, of course, formerly known as Andy Young. Uh, he must have he must have changed that recently. I don't remember him being called Andrew before. Um, but Andrew, Andrew Young, it always seems to put together a pretty uh, somewhat qualitative at bat. Um, seems to have a pretty decent approach up there. There was, of course, the big grand slam the other day, which was really fun to watch for him. Uh, he's a guy, Jeff, that I really want to see get uh, a little bit more playing time, especially at the plate, um, just uh, whether it be with uh, pinch hit uh, opportunities or or whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, he's a guy who I every time he comes up, I just I don't know what it is. He had some dramatic moments uh, in his first year last season. And for some reason, I sort of associate uh, Andrew Young with those more dramatic moments now. So. Um, I always enjoy watching him when he when he comes up to the plate. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, that's a good that's a good selection. Um, I'm with you in that. I I do always sort of feel like he might be about to do damage, like every time he steps <laughs> in. So um, I like that one. I'll go just a slightly different direction. Um, I have been pretty impressed with Paven Smith. He has been as advertised. Mm. Um, he's come through in some some sort of big spots. 
Um, he's provided Tory with some really valuable defensive, you know, flexibility. Um, not that he's a tremendous uh, center fielder by any means, but the fact that he can kind of hold his own in the corners, cover first base with with real ease, um, and find a way to put the bat on the ball. I mean, he's he's everything the scouting report has ever said he would be. Yeah. Um, you know, he's doesn't quite have the prototypical first baseman power, um, but he will find the gaps. He will put together good at bats. Um, and while there have been a, a few times that he's swung like early in counts, there's also been there have also been plenty that he's really kind of worked well and shown a pretty mature approach for someone with such few major league plate appearances under his belt. So um I don't know what the like ceiling is on him uh or where I really see him sort of settling in. Um, but he's been valuable thus far and he hasn't looked like out of sorts or in over his head, if you will. So yeah, um, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be fun to fun to see how his, how his career evolves here over the next few years. Um, uh, we'll, we'll finish off here with this one from, uh, Ryan McEwen, um, biggest baseball pet peeve. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, Ryan says his is basically when uh, when guys come up hacking swing right at the first pitch. I think we can all sort of uh, relate to that one. Uh, Jeff, I'll, I'll start with you here. Biggest baseball pet peeve. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, I think, uh, first of all, I, I'd never really thought of this before. Um, it's not something I probably spend a lot of time thinking about. So it's an interesting question. Um, it's kind of, you know, two things for me. I think the first one that, that came to mind immediately was batters that have way too long of like uh pre at bat rituals or like between <laughs> pitches, right? Like yeah. have to like basically take the gloves off, untie your shoes, like the whole nine yards. <laughs> um, that, that one kind of gets me. Um, but I think the one, if I'm going to keep it kind of game related, then it would be, um, you know, having a poor approach, um, with like less than two outs and runners on base is just, that one just gets me. Mm. Um, it's really tough, whether it's an early hack or like really expanding the zone, um, trying to do too much. I mean, I think those times when you have a chance to do damage, uh, don't come around that often, especially for hitters that bat like further down in the lineup. And so if you can get it, uh, you know, if you get the circumstances to where, you know, you're in that position to try to produce a run, like, I think there's something to be said for having sort of a, you know, I don't know if being an RBI guy is what I would call it, but having sort of an approach for trying to, um, you know, make some quality contact, um, you know, in that kind of situation. So when guys don't exhibit that, that would, that kind of bothers me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I totally resonate with your, uh, pre, a pre at bat ritual thing. There are some guys who's, you know, they're like pre at bat ritual is so iconic that it's like something that kids at home know too. I remember Ryan Howard, like the classic, like spit into his glove and rub it around. And then just his whole, his whole deal. A lot of the, a lot of the, the great hitters in the game sort of have, you know, something like that, that somehow sets them apart when at the end of the day, what they're really known for is actually hitting uh, not yeah. just doing random <laughs> things before they hit. Um, so yeah, very odd sort of baseball quirk. Um, another odd baseball quirk that I know when, you know, when I ever bring uh, people to a baseball game who maybe aren't quite as well versed in how things work. Um, 
something that they're often puzzled by is uh, pickoff throws to first base. And, you know, mm-hmm. it makes sense. You've got a guy over there who's super fast. Um, you know, you've got a Nick Heath type, uh, you know, to stay on topic with uh, the Diamondbacks new center fielder acquisition uh, who went three for four today. Played really well. Um, you know, if you've got a guy who's speedy on on first base, it makes sense. But a lot of times you'll see, uh, especially relievers um, or, or starters as well, when they're in a particularly stressful moment and you can tell they're just sort of frozen and just don't really want to throw the pitch. Uh, or maybe they had a miscommunication with the catcher or whatever it was. Um, but it's always funny when they throw to first base and you know, you look over and it's the catcher or someone who's literally never stolen a base in their 18 year career standing at first base. And, yep. you know, they probably don't even have to uh, dive in order to get back in. Uh, I always thought that was sort of a sort of a bizarre quirk. Um, and, and frankly, I think there's also a valid question of like, do you really, you know, decrease the chances of someone stealing a base on you by throwing over to first base, you know, just with such regularity as as a lot of guys do. So. Um, yeah, that would, that would probably be the, the one that comes to mind for me. Nice. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it is always pretty funny when they throw over on the, on the opposing catcher or the giant first baseman. I'm like, uh, yeah, did you just not get the sign? Did, was there a mix up? Do you just really not want to deliver the ball to home plate right now? Are you just trying to mentally recite yourself? Because if it isn't for any of that, then I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Um, all right. Well, we have several other questions that sadly we uh, we don't have the time to get to here in this episode. We'll do our best to uh, follow up on Twitter, give our answers over there. Um, but thank you to everyone who uh, who submitted questions today. We had somehow, Jeff, we had a, a quite a number of them today, which is kind of fun. Yes. Um, so, yeah, thank you to everyone for contributing on that front. Uh, that is all that we have here for episode 27 of the Rattle podcast. Uh, as always, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter. You can find our uh, our combined the Rattle page. That's at the Rattle AZ. Uh, where you can find all of our shows and articles and whatnot. And then you uh, also be sure to follow uh, each of us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jesse and Friedman. Uh, you can find uh, Jeff at Outfield Grass uh, 24. Um, and also, I want to give a shout out to Joshua Inman, uh, our third uh, very faithful writer who's done a lot of great work uh, recently on the website. Uh, you yeah. can find him at Roof and Panels Open on Twitter. Uh, we've got to get Joshua as many followers on Twitter uh, as we can, because frankly, uh, he puts out uh, some really, really good he stuff does. that does not get seen by enough people. Um, so uh, be sure to give uh, our friend Joshua a follow over on Twitter as well. Uh, But for Jeff, my name is Jesse Friedman. Thanks so much for joining us uh, here today. We'll be back again soon to talk more about the 2021 Arizona Diamondbacks.